Hi everyone and you're very welcome back to our latest episode of Stronger with Sport. I'm absolutely delighted to say joining me today is former Republic of Ireland captain and Republic of Ireland manager, legendary figure over here, Mr Mick McCarthy. Mick, it's good to see you. Thank you, Alan. Nice yeah. to be here. Nice and to see you. Thanks for joining us. As I say, I'm very honoured and privileged because a uh, big football fan would have played myself all over the years. have obviously followed your career closely, not only when you played, but then when you became the national team manager. I've heard a lot of good reports about you, Mick, I have to say. Hopefully you live up to that. And uh, yeah, we're delighted to have you. I'll do my best. Okay, very good. <laughs> You're obviously in town to promote the Irish Cancer Society. You've just become ambassador. So you brought the weather with you as well, which is, which is a good thing. Uh, I, I hope. I wish I was responsible for that. I usually get blamed for the bad weather. <laughs> it was beautiful, actually. I was down on Grafton Street uh, going out meeting all the, the daffodil sellers and got around most of them, I think, and it was nice to see them because they're, they're doing a great job raising the money. Mm. Uh, you know, every, I'm, I guess I'm here to try and help raise the profile, but they're the ones stood on the street selling them. They do a great job. And in terms of, I suppose, with your profile, as you say, over the years, Mick, with how successful you've been as a player and as a manager, I'm sure you get approached by a lot of maybe charities. Why this one in particular? Uh, yeah, you, you get asked to do things. Maybe can you can you find something to, to give to? Uh, it might it might give yourself for a game of golf with somebody, and you know they'll auction that off. It could be anything. But this particular charity, the cancer charity, is close to me. I say it's close to my heart. It shouldn't be because it's cost both my parents. Mm -hmm. You know, but. Uh, it's a strange way of putting it, isn't it? Close to your heart. When when my mother died of cancer at 53, and then my father died of cancer, I think he was 70, 73. Uh, and I was only a very young man. It was a, um, uh, September 83 when my mum died. I was only 24. Okay. <coughs> and was that bonkers, as stupid as it sounds? I thought my mum was old. Okay, even at 53 but back you, then. You do, you think yeah. your parents are old, because mm. they are older than you. Mm. Now I'm 63, I realise what a young woman she was and she was taken away. My, my sister was only 17 and that was really tough on her. Uh, and of course then my father lived for the, for the remainder of those years on his own and then bowel cancer got him. So uh, that was back in, uh, I, was, I was away uh, in Cyprus in 2001. So it's affected my family and I know so many other people it's affected. Mm. Um, in fact, I, I can't tell you of anybody I don't know it's affected cancer. Mm. But having taken both my parents, then anything I can do to help, then I'm always happy to do it. Absolutely, yeah. It is one of those things, as you say, no matter who you speak to, they have a, um, a sad memory of it or whatever. But just, you mentioned your parents there, Mick. Obviously, um, your dad was big into in terms of, I suppose, the Irish sports, the GA, the hurling, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you were born and raised, obviously, in England. But... Did that have a lasting impact on you because your mum was so young, I suppose, even though your dad then went on to live, he saw your successes? Yeah. Was it, is it something that you look back on and think, I'd love if my mum was around whilst you were going through the different oh, periods? Oh, yeah. yeah. Can I just put a positive on that? On, because you, I talk about the sadness of it, but, but this charity, what they're doing, and, and I've learnt more today, the things that they are doing with the money that's raised, you know, it's the things that would have been killers in the past, they're not, they can keep people alive. You know, they, they get people to get uh, to get looked at quicker, the doctors, the nurses, the carers. One woman I spoke to in the street said how the carers had almost kept her going when her husband died. Mm. So there's so much positivity comes from the charity and from giving money that it's not only just about my parents dying and other people being affected. 
So I just want to put a positive yeah, spin on, on the yeah, fundraising. Yeah, yeah. It's what it's for. Because w what we always end up doing is talking about the illnesses mm. and the deaths. Mm. But you know, the strength that comes out of it from people that get it and families that get it is incredible. Uh, yeah. But they get support from, mm. from the charities. But th yeah, the question you asked me about me, my dad uh, losing, losing his partner, his life partner, his, his wife. Uh, she, she watched me play football, of course. I didn't get to watch me play too often with Ireland. And then to go on, and my dad saw me play for Ireland and, uh, and manage for Ireland, of course. In fact, the day, I, the day I flew back to go and see him, he was in bed. I'd, I'd been, he, he was on his, it was his last days. And I was in Cyprus with the team, and I flew back to see him. And I walked into the hospital ward, and he's laying in his bed, and he sees me, and he says, what are you doing here? Really, yeah. You should be in Cyprus with the team. Yeah. You know, well, I'm sure he knew what I was doing there. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, it, I wish my mother could have seen it. She, uh, they both supported me. When I, took, when, I, when I said I was signing for Barnsley, the mm. pair of them said, are you sure? You should be getting a proper job, you know, don't yeah. be, cause And that was the mindset back then. That was the mindset, yeah, yeah and, I, and I understand it. And I understand it even more now, having seen so many young players come into football clubs and not making it. The percentage that don't make it is far bigger than the percentage that do. But once I did sign, they supported me greatly and then came to watch me and, and followed me. And, and were immensely proud of, of, of what I was doing. Would one of them have been more of a bigger influence than the other, or were the both of them kind of thing? Uh, both of them. Look, the biggest influence was my dad at football because he, whether it was in the house, curtains shut, furniture moved, whether it was in the back garden, whether it's in the field or the the rec, the recreation ground we used to go and play in. And in fact, all my mates used to come and call for my dad. Not me, John or Kevin, my dad, because he'd organise the game. There'd be the jumpers down. It could yeah. be twenty aside in the field. And he was the star man, you know, he loved it all, yeah, he was, he was brilliant. Okay, <coughs> I often think back to those times, even myself and growing up as a kid and playing on the street, it's, some, it's not something we see nowadays, I know society has changed, young kids, technology, computers, it irritates me because I almost long for the days when I was a kid growing up, w would you have, like, despite what you've achieved, I suppose, are they still the lasting memories of your brothers playing with your brothers, your dad, he said your mates calling around in oh the yeah. field, wherever it is? Yeah, playing outside, breaking every panel of my neighbour's fence, breaking windows in the neighbour's garage, destroying plants, trees, everything. everything. And you know what, I, they'd come out and wave the fist at you from occasionally, but they were very tolerant of us all. We were playing on the street, you know. And the thing was though then, if a car came, mm. it was unusual. Whereas now you'd be dodging vehicles all the time. You know, it'd be a real, we'd be sort of tutty. I think this is a road if a car came past. And we did it everywhere. I remember walking to, walking down to church, whether it's, you know, Sunday morning, going to confession. We'd be keeping the ball up, kicking it against the wall. We'd find a hole in the wall. If you got it through, you scored. If you got it into a dustbin, you scored. You were making up games as you Making go. up games as we went. And it was all about football. And that's, that's pretty much all we did, me, myself. John, Kevin, my brothers, uh, and any of our mates that were around, it was all about playing football. Yeah, much simpler times. And we might touch on that as we go through, Mick, because I want to speak to you, obviously, when we get to the managerial side of stuff about the modern day, the modern day player, that kind of stuff. But I suppose back then, when you did sign for Barnsley then as a local boy, you mentioned earlier, obviously, all the games you were playing as kids. Was it always football and that was the be-all and end-all for you? Yeah, it was. I, I never thought for one minute I was going to be a footballer. Okay. I wanted to be. Okay, like everyone, I suppose. Yeah, like everyone, I wanted to be. 
I mean, you know, I was, I was the captain of the school team. I remember I went to a little Catholic school. There was only less than 100 kids in. And when the headmaster left, all the teachers were, were female. And I'd be, what, 10? And I suddenly got the, uh, the joy of picking the team. Uh, pumping the ball up, making sure that everything was done, the goals were out. We so didn't have you're nets. Even, you're even managing back I, then. I suddenly, <laughs> I, I inherited that because I was, I don't know, one of the dominant males as a ten-year-old at the school, and and I said all the other, they were all female teachers, and I love that. But that, and did I think I was going to be a footballer? No, I didn't. And and by the way, I got told I wasn't going to be a footballer, okay. and I got told when I was a footballer I still wasn't a footballer. <laughs> so, I mean, I came and played for Ireland and I got told on a regular basis I wasn't good enough. You've done okay out of me, don't worry. Oh, listen, it, it, you know, it's... And was I that that, it's everybody's opinion. It's, everybody's got a different opinion. Was that something then maybe when you look back, obviously you said you were 10, 11 at that stage, and was the reason you were thinking I wasn't going to be a footballer because you didn't feel you were good enough? I didn't enter Like so head. many kids. I didn't enter my head I was going to be... A, I wanted to be a footballer. Mm. But do you honestly think at 10 or 11, you might have that desire to be one, but oh, you have a lot of years in front of you. You know, I was, I was run over by a car twice. I mean, that could have stopped really, it. Really, yeah. Oh, not the same car, by the way, different <laughs> occasions. He didn't hit me and run roll back over me. No, that wasn't happening. It was two separate occasions. Here's me thinking you could even take on a car, Mick. <laughs> uh, so that could, you know, all that could have stopped it. Uh, I, was, I was playing for Barnsley Boys Club and, and uh, Keith Steele, God love him, he's long gone, Keith. But he he supported me. He could see the the, the ability in me, and I was, you know, and, and we're playing in teams, and we're, we're having a really good team as well, and we're beating teams. All right, so it's Barnsley, Wakefield, but it's getting spread out, and you know, I've, I'm getting good reports in this. His father was Johnny Steele, who used to play for Barnsley. He used to manage Barnsley, and he was the secretary, and he, he recommended me to him. And, and bizarrely enough, I, he told me they wanted to sign me as an apprentice. Go down to Oakwell and they'll sign you. Well, I'm 16, waiting to, I've left school, I'm waiting to get, I've, I've passed my pre-selection, my exam, I'm waiting to get an electrician's apprenticeship in the pit, in the mines. Okay. And uh, I went down to Barnsley, knocked on the door, secretary came, uh, yes, uh, I'm uh, Michael McCarthy and well, I've been told if I come down here, you want to sign me as an apprentice. Well, no, he'd got no no idea of it at all. <laughs> Stand there, I'll go and I'll go and find out basically. Yeah. So I wait, and he came back, and he said, "Oh yeah, yeah, th it was said that's right." And that was it. And I signed. Okay. And I signed at sixteen for nine quid a week. I think it was six and three, six for my mother, three for me. Okay. You know, where did it all go wrong? I, I want to ask the question now, Mick, because you mentioned. I suppose, the younger lads and not knowing. Do you think it's a bit mad now the way it's gone with the kids with academies at 8, 9, 10, 11 and people making decisions on them so early? I think it is. I think it puts increased pressure on them. If you think about me, I, all I did was play football. Played at school, played for Barnsley Boys Club, played whatever it was. And then I got in the, I signed for Barnsley, played for the intermediate team. And you know what? I always thought, I thought once I'd signed at Barnsley, I thought I was going to be a footballer. There was nothing ever. I, I thought... Uh, apprentice, pro, play for the intermediates, play for the reserves, play in the first team, move on. How crazy was I? Mm. Thankfully it happened, but, and I was pretty single-minded about it, but I had loads of mates that lost. I see it now where they're signing them at four, five, six. Can't be in academies, but eight, they're in academies. 
And they, they, they are pretty well drilled as well as that. I know they get coached and they get looked after and they get well treated. But parents are bringing them in twice a week and mm. they, the parents are amazing. Unfortunately, I think some of the parents, um, they're amazing at what they do bringing them in and, and the, uh, you know, the care and attention they give to them and the time. But they get wrapped up in it as well and they, they so want them to be footballers. Where my parents were probably against me being a footballer, yeah. thinking that I could be one of the hundreds of thousands that have not made it. So it nearly has a detrimental effect on them, the parents, because I see even my little boy is nine and they're playing with a local club, a community club, and it's brilliant. And I, I just want him to play with his friends and his mates. If it gets serious at 14, 15, 16, all be it. But not at this age, you know, I just, like right. even, and it's happening here because we're trying to catch up in terms of, obviously we don't have the infrastructure, the facilities, and there's a lot of debates and this conversations, you'll, you'll know yourself about the domestic game here and how far behind we are maybe. So we're always trying to play catch up, but I still think I'm looking at clubs, eight, nine, 10, 11, trying to make decisions on kids that are crazy stuff. Um, I'd like to think you could enjoy it until you're 14. And I don't get me wrong, I, I might be being, completely against it but I'm sure that when they're going to the they are enjoying it they're enjoying training Tuesday and Thursdays they're enjoying playing on Sundays they are enjoying it but there's a certain pressure against it and I can vouch for that because when they get to uh, 16 and they join the club mm. uh, any football club I've been at so they join the, and, and that is then and then there's a cull it's almost like you don't get signed on you just go and you go hopefully get to another club somewhere else at 17 then they're now under my not under my umbrella but under my watch because they'll be in the intermediate other under 18s and the 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 under 21s it's now no not the reserves but we're watching them and when it comes to 18 it's my task to tell them they're not good enough to play for for this club i'm not saying they can't play football mm. but we d we actually don't want you and i hate it did you I, that is the that is the most Hateful job of the season. Because you're bringing the young, young, young pros in, not young pros, young academy graduates that have got to 18 and it's the manager's job. It's, it's always been my job, I don't know if it's the same at every other club, but effectively I'm saying, look, you're not, you're not going to be getting in my first team. You're not going to be getting anywhere around it. You, you, we've got other players who are better than you. Oh, and it's, it's heartbreaking. It really so is of heartbreaking. All, of all the tasks you have as a day-to-day -day manager, Mick, and the experiences you've had, and you mentioned even at 10, you were a dominant figure in your school. Then you go on to be the captain of clubs you're played for, played in World Cups, managed big players, big egos, big characters that you've had to deal with. That's still the hardest part, is it telling the young lads you're oh not going to yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm crushing somebody's dreams. I'm... And with that, say if you... And sometimes it's the parents yeah. who are worse. I get, you know, I get parents saying, he's been at this football club since he was six, he was seven, he was eight. He's not got. And I've, I've actually said to them, yes, did you ever give any consideration to the nine-year-old that was thrown out when little Johnny wasn't? Or the 10-year-old that was thrown out and the 11-year-old? And he, he's progressed all the way through. Mm. But there is still that, there's still that golden boot at the end of it, which is signing professional. And even then... That doesn't guarantee them to be mm. footballers, mm. to be professional footballers for have any longevity. You know, they might get a pro contract at 18 and they've gone at 19. Mm. That's it, just it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a continuous progression of anything, actually, of 
you know, if you're in a job, you want to keep going that way. Well, it is. It's a. It's a job. Well, what I find with the football side of it, like yeah, if you're comparing it to other jobs, that it's the cutthroat nature of it. Oh yeah. And as you say, then, so if you've made that decision, have, it's not my decision. Let me just clear that up. It's not my decision. So there'll be there'll be me. There'll be assistant manager. There'll be the coaches, the twenty ones coach, the eighteens coach, the ones who've all brought these through. Mm. It's not just me that goes, oh, you're not good yeah, enough. That would be ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have a collective and, and decide on the ones who we think should. And I would say to them, by the way, whatever my opinion is, I'd like to give, if you're thinking little Johnny should stay, give me the reasons why. Mm. And I'm happy to be convinced that, because we're talking about a, a, maybe a year's pro contract, and that's happened on a number of occasions. But generally, we're all seeing the things with, a, yeah. all right, with different eyes, but we... We, want, we know what is good enough to get through into the first team, whether it's Sunderland Wolves, Ipswich, whether it's First Division Championship, Premier League. We all know what standard needs to be going. But nevertheless, I get the, un, the, the thankless task of telling them, and it's the worst day of my year, that. Really, yeah? Yeah. That, that, it doesn't amaze me because I know how cutthroat it can be, but it amazes me slightly in the sense that you're in such a high-pressure job Results that matter every week. You're dealing, as I say, with players. There might be problems, issues, whatever's going on, day-to-day stuff with players, big egos, big characters. There could be a row that morning train. But yet, the decision you make to tell a young lad, I'm sorry, but it's not happening for you here, that's the hardest one. Absolutely. I've, look, I've, I, I, was, I wasn't that kid because I went in at 16. I did it completely different. I hadn't gone through all the layers of academy. Uh, but I just know how much it means to them. I know how much it meant to me. If I'd have been told that, I'd have been broken. Uh, it, and it means it to the parents. I've tried everything. I tried bringing them in one, one by one, and they're all sat outside waiting. They're all in the dressing room waiting to be called in. So if the one goes out who's been told he's not, he goes in there, he tries to disappear because he's crying, he's not. Mm. So all the others who are waiting to come in think, oh, no, none of us are getting it. I've tried bringing the others who are getting it in first and saying, well done, you're getting a contract. And then the others are waiting, no right <laughs> they're way, are waiting for the axe. I've, I've brought them all in together. The ones who aren't going to get a contract, so there might be five or six, and told them as a collective, mm. it affects some worse than others. There might be some who breaks down crying. That's not particularly nice. Mm. It's devastating for them. It really is. I know for all the decisions I've made, and I've had over a thousand games as a manager, mm. every single year, that is the most thankless task that I have to Interesting. Okay, we will come back to the management stuff, Mick, because I'm so interested in, as I say, the career that you've had. But one thing I wanted to talk about you, and especially because it's kind of on the rise a little bit again, is the whole Celtic Rangers thing. And because of the job, Postacoglu has come in and done. But you had successful times at Celtic and winning the double your first season. Um, those old firm games are legendary to everyone, particularly, obviously, the connection we have with it being from Ireland and all that kind of stuff. But just to describe those games... Are they as amazing as we see on the television? Yeah, they are. I remember the the first game I played at Ibrox, uh, myself and Granty, Peter Grant. You know, we'd be going around saying to, like, encouraging each other before the game. But it starts immediately the Saturday before before that game. So the Saturday you played before the the upcoming so Saturday. The week before. The week before that game finishes. If you know you're playing St Mirren away, you've gone away and won. That's gone. Get that out of the way, right? Let's talk about Rangers. The build-ups. That's there. 
And of course, it's just, it's then so intense all the way through to that. But we're on the pitch going around encouraging each other. And we were, we were like that, shout. And I couldn't, he was saying something to me and I couldn't hear really, what yeah. he was saying. The noise was incredible. And then the game starts. And it, I mean, it, they were, they were borderline violent. You, know, so you could get away with a bit more back then. me fine. <laughs> <laughs> you were but certainly... I mean, wonder, well, wonderful games. Were they, yeah. Amazing. And in terms of the memories, I suppose, the Barnsley stuff, um, obviously Celtic, Millwall, is there any club team? Because a lot of people now, maybe because you haven't been involved in the manag managerial side of things for the last 20, 25 years, people will only remember you as the manager. People forget about maybe the playing side, you know, because it might have been a, 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 bit, a bit of time ago, as I say. But for you personally, is there any club in particular? Would it always be Barnsley as your club? Or do you look back fondly <laughs> at any, any other club that you spent time with as a player? Um, I kind of give a bland answer there. You know, I enjoyed every single club I was at. Barnsley, because it was my hometown club, I ended up making 272 league appearances in six seasons. Okay. Was it six? Yeah. Uh, 77 to 83 I left. I mean, I was, when I look back, it's about 45 games a season. It's, it's, it's Yeah, no wonder I'm knackered now. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that. We got went from the fourth to the third yeah. to the second, missed out on promotion to the first. I went to Man City and I, I, I joined them in the December. We got promoted the following year. I played in the old first division with City. I love that. That was a that was a step up. It was a bigger club, and then of course I go to Celtic, and although that's everybody here says it's a bigger club, didn't feel like it because from City, yeah, okay, and, and it is because but there's the Celtic and Rangers at the time. They're the two clubs. All the others right. were nowhere near as as big, but I remember joining Celtic and I, I thought, wow, I've 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 nailed it here. This is brilliant, you know, despite the fact. The stadium was nothing like it is now, okay. but the support when you turn out in, incredible, yeah. And even I being at Man City, they didn't being at Man City and being in the game that we got promoted back to the first division and it was a full house, uh, that was amazing. But we were, we were doing that pretty much every week at Celtic. Okay. But you know, we we did not won it anything at Celtic. Not I'm not saying because I joined, but we were standing for the team photograph in 80, uh, 88. Yeah, I joined 87, 88, and uh, so I joined in 87, we won the double in 88. We were sitting for that team photograph and the lads were all joshing and acting around and there was no trophies and somebody said, where's all the trophies? Somebody said, at like, Ibrox, well, <laughs> Billy McNeil, really? nearly snarled somebody like, fucking you know, Ibrox, I'll give you, we went, went into one, and rightly so as yeah, well. Yeah. And I don't know if that had an effect that day, but while we were kind of put in our place, there was no messing around the fact that we hadn't got any trophies. It was all, it was said it was a disgrace that this Celtic have not got a trophy to, to have. Mm. We won the double the following year, so it maybe had a profound effect that day. How good of a manager was Billy McNeil? I loved him. He was, uh, he was great for me. Signed me for Manchester City. He actually didn't sign me for Celtic, it was David Hay. David Hay signed me and then I was away playing for Ireland in, uh, I think it was Luxembourg and uh, there was a clamour outside the dressing room and it was some of the press trying to get in and to tell me and ask me what I thought about David Hay being sacked. Okay. I'd never played for him, so okay. really? that'd be a great signing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Davy, I, I really looked forward to him because when I met him I thought he was a really good guy. Uh, but then when I heard Billy McNeil was taking over, mm. 
The Leon thing then, how does that come about, Mick? Because it's a strange one on the CV, especially, well, even nowadays, I suppose, for people leaving kind of the British Isles to go across and play. Um, but for what maybe back then, and obviously Leon people associate them nowadays, Champions League club, yeah. but maybe not as big back then. Um, but how does that come about? I'd, I'd played in the uh, Euro 88, and, a, and a, a, a German agent had seen me play in 88. In, it's in, in Germany, of course. And I think was impressed by me. and uh, Or at least for him to put in, you know, the clubs will ring agents, have you got players, you know, any players? That's the only thing I can imagine. And uh, I get a call from this agent, and if you'd have asked me, I could research him, remember his name, but I can't, might come to me. Uh, rings me up completely out of the blue, I'm at Celtic, but I'm into my second year of a third year contract at Celtic, and I don't think I'm getting another one. I've had a, I've had a bit of a bad knee, and I thought, well, I've, I've been offered a three-year contract, so he says it's at Leon. So I, there's no Google, by the way, at the time. You're going to get a map, find out where Leon is. Do you try and find anything written about Leon? Very, very rare. So I agreed to, to speak to him, speak to them. He was on my, he was going to work on my behalf. They obviously approached Billy McNeil, and they offered 500 grand, which they'd paid for me. So that was accepted. I think they probably thought. You know, we'll we'll we've had two years out of yeah, it. We've yeah. won the double. We, we won the cup as well in the last. Which was a lot of money back then. Yeah, they won yeah. the cup in the last. Uh, my last game, we won the cup. We beat Rangers. So they'd had me. They'd had the half a million out of me, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Got the money back and get somebody fresh and new. And I'm thirty, but I loved it. I, I went across, sold everything up, went, got a house, wanted to em em immerse ourselves in the French. Mm -hmm culture, sent my kids to French school, learning to speak French, uh, and loved it, and my wife loved it even more than me, I found out afterwards. <laughs> uh, but then I had a problem with my knee, and I was out of the team for a while, and there might be a lot of things, but I'm not stupid. Remy Gard, if you yeah. remember him, and Bruno Engotti, yeah. who were only 19 and 20, I think, got in the team. That was it. And they were sensational. And I'm watching these thinking, World Cup coming up 1990. <laughs> I can't see me getting back in here. So the opportunity to then go to Millwall and, and get games, and, and that's, the, that's the reason why I went back. Okay. But I loved it. I, I love Leon. And I, I said about my wife, Fiona, it's the only one I'd signed for Millwall and we'd moved to her house. She'd asked me to get something out of the loft, uh, a case, and I brought it down and I went to see her. And she's, she's sat on the bed crying. I said, what's wrong with you? She had just smelt the washing powder on the kids' clothes from Leon. Okay. And I said, does it mean that much to you? She said, yeah, I loved it. She said, I didn't want to leave. I have to say, so, Mick. you know, it was fairly selfless on her part. You okay. Know? As someone who's fond of the finer things in life, I'm with Fiona 100%. There's a big difference from Leon to Millwall. <laughs> well, I tell you, I tell you a story I don't about that. I don't my, my first game, I came back and uh, I ended up... Uh, my first game back at Millwall, I ended up coming. I ended up parking in a scrapyard <laughs> next to a skip, and it was it was somewhat different, but I loved it. Did you? I, I loved my time at Millwall, yeah. And, and they, gave me, they gave me the opportunity in management, of course. Absolutely, because of course you came back to play, and then you went on to be the manager. We'll get the reason I asked you about the player stuff because I think it's a bit disrespectful, not in a bad way, but the fact that 
you've had this brilliant managerial career, which people, as I said, made the point right, that people remember because it's gone on for so long, over a thousand games. But you were a player, and it's important to highlight that as well. And these kind of experiences and stories, the Leon thing, the Millwall thing, is Millwall as mad as we kind of the press tell us or what we see on the television or well it's nice to be interviewed by somebody who's old enough to remember me playing anyway so you know <laughs> well I, it's just I, important I finished playing in that. 1993 yeah. so uh, I was chatting to this about somebody earlier about Millwall and I love my time there it was it was brilliant I, I don't know if you maybe you can maybe you can't or you've seen it since there was a, there was a documentary done on them and it was it is it Chelsea they have to? I can't remember. They, they had a name. They were, they were the, you know, the the thugs, yeah, effectively. And they had this big documentary that they did on it. And of course, it just that, and they're the worst people of all to be talking to them. And it gave Millwall that bad name mm. straight away. And of course, there are some of them who still like to live up to that now, and have done over the years. But my recollections of it was it was a real caring family club who look after people in that area, who it's tough for a lot of them, you know, and, and do lots of the, the community stuff and great academy. It, it's sad that they get that bad rap. And of course, anything that happens then, you know, especially we've had this with Black Lives Matter. And I think, you know, if, if they don't stand up for it and there are people in the, in the crowd that are doing it, some people like to live up to the reputation. Mm. And sadly, that reputation, I think, was, was given falsely in a lot of ways. Okay. And that tends to happen, like it's not just football, sometimes I get a little bit annoyed when people are quick to target footballers or football people yeah. or whatever, it's a society problem, like, yeah. you know, but... Um, but I'm not saying that they haven't got an element, yeah. they have and they've had it over the years, uh, but I say sometimes I think it's people wanting to live up to that badger reputation when, and, and what that does is mar everybody that, that's, that should have that good reputation, that work at the club, really good people who have been there for years, you know, they're constantly fighting that battle against yeah. people's opinions on them. Obviously, the club playing career we've gone through, fruitful and successful for yourself. Um, the managerial side is just around the corner. But I have to talk, talk about the playing side with the Republic of Ireland because as a kid, I think I was, what age was I, seven or eight, Italia 90. And obviously, there was Euro 88 before that. But Italia 90 was my first real memory of the country going bananas. And I've never, ever, in, in the years that have followed on since, Mick, I've never, ever seen the country anything like what it was in Italia 90. It was just incredible, the memories that I have of, of as I say, the euphoria and uh, the joy and people dancing on, the, literally dancing on the streets day and night throughout Italia 90. It was just amazing. It must have been an amazing time. I know you were obviously over there. Could you get a sense of just what was happening here? A little bit, because we, we get the papers sent over, and uh, is it Con Con Hulan? Con yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure if he quoted somebody. <coughs> excuse me, was it him that said, "I uh, I missed the World Cup. I was in Italy," because it was going on here, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was all, uh, and so we and we'd be we'd be seeing videos of people. Uh, of course, at the time, there's no social media. Yeah, exactly, no, nobody's yeah. got. Oh, look what's going on here! It was. We'd have it and somebody'd show this video, oh, see what's going on here. And we'd be like, oh, wow, you know, it was a bit of a shock to us. Yeah. But it was the best time of my life, though. Really? Oh, eight, eight, from Jack coming in. By the way, Owen Hand gave me my first cap and I enjoyed playing for Owen. I was, that was great. But, you know, we qualified with Jack mm. and everybody loved him. If you ask players, they say, I love Big Jack. Everyone? Oh, 
maybe not everyone. There'll be one or two that didn't, but you know. Well, he's a hero. So, Jack's an absolute. How about hero. the players? You know, Kaz, Ray, Hout, and all them. We, we, we were down at the K Club, and Jack was there, mm. and it was a reunion of the team. Every one of them. Oh, I love Big Jack. And, and, and it was, it was it, seriously, it, it was like, I didn't think it at the time. It's only now looking back and I see your boy bands. I think it was like being like one of them. If, it, we yeah. were, if we went out and the lads were out, you know, some of them more band, boy bandish than others, <laughs> I, I might add. I don't ever think I was... Never strike you no, as a boy band no. material. But I'm, I'm just saying that the, the way we were treated and, you know, it, it, was a, it was brilliant. It was a time of my life and I, I so enjoyed my football. It's the best time, probably my... Because we won the double in 88 with with Celtic and then I went away to the European Championships in Germany and we had a great European Championships uh, 89 the cup 90 the you know that four years was my best best, best part of my career and those days like what people seem to forget we had really good players top players and a good team when Jack came in and he obviously gave you the belief or whatever conversations or chats you were having at the time about maybe qualification did you all believe yeah we can achieve something here uh, it started, we had, a, we had a training session at Leeds, uh, their Leeds training ground, and we all met up there, and he, he went into what he wanted us to do, and it was, put the ball in the corners. The, lots of teams at the time were playing three and two wing backs, and he'd stick it in behind them, and, you know, it, roll a, a ball in, turn it behind him, he's always going to run in behind. And he said, he said, listen, they're, they're, this, they're arrogant. They, they, they think they're the best footballers, they want to play out. Well, when, once we've got them in that position, we'll put them under pressure, as the as record said. And we did. And he gave us a, a method that some didn't like, some didn't think was sexy enough, good enough football, but he gave us a method on how to win games. <coughs> and we went to, uh, I mean, his first game was Wales at home and we lost. I got on for a couple of minutes. He actually left me out of the squad. But I was called in because some of the press asked him and anyway, I ended up having probably as many caps as anybody. Mm. But we went to Iceland and played Iceland and Czechoslovakia. We beat them. We won this cup okay. uh, in Iceland, this competition. And that gave us unbelievable belief. That's the first time, two games away from home, went and won, won a trophy. And you could see that we were a, a team to play against. It was going to be hard to play against, going to be hard to beat and we'd get goals. Because we weren't just trying to play through them, we'd turn them around, we put crosses in, we were, and we were horrible to play against. Okay. And everybody bought into it. 99% of people bought into it. It was just an amazing time, as I say. I watched a film, I think it was last year, a couple of years back, that they released for Jack. And of course, Jack is an absolute mm. godlike figure over here because of all that success back then. It, it was tinged with sadness as well, obviously, the way things had, had transpired for him. But just in terms of, say, for yourself, Mick, who went on to manage then, the influence that he would have had on you, was that seismic kind of out of all the managers you've had over the years? Yeah, and, and somewhat little tinkering. He, he just said to me, I, I'd, I'd played on the left-hand side defender, and I'm a right-footed player for years, because when I, when I got in the first team at Barnsley, there's an older centre-back said, you're playing on the left side because I'm the right footer, I'm playing here. So I did. And that happened for a few. Taft, my assistant, he came. You're playing on the left, I'm playing on the right. Okay, so... And I, that, I ended up just playing there all the time. And when I look now, I mean, I'd want a left footer if I can, but if they're not there... Mm. Jack just said to me, he said, uh, 
you play in the team, you'll never play on the left side for me. I said, but I, I play there all the time. He said, I know, but you're not good enough on the left side. You play on the right side, right footer. And from then on, if I, any club, I said, by the way, I'm playing on the right-hand side. And I did, because I'm now getting a bit older than everybody else. I said to the young ones, you're, you're playing You're a man, isn't it now, yeah. And, and it made a difference to me. made a difference to me playing, you know, just how you how you go and tackle if you're going on the outside of you, how it tackles, uh, <coughs> the way the ball comes, the way you go and head it, the fact that you can open up and play the ball. You know, you've played the game. It made a difference to me. And subtle things that he would say to me. I remember playing at, against Newcastle, and I didn't know who I played against with Tony Cunningham. Didn't win every header. I'm giving fouls away, and he said, yeah, we can't win every header. He said, I used to try that. He said, I got a bit older and realised, let them flick it on and the keeper will pick it. We don't give fouls away. Mm. It give me just, and that sounds like so simple advice. But you know, when you're in a game mm. and you're, you're not winning it, the third, first thing is you want to do is go and win it. Mm. Give a foul away, 20 yards out, they stick it in the top corner. He, he, he influenced me greatly, yeah. He was brilliant for me. And was that his special skill? In and I'll tell you what he did. The belief he had in me, Okay. I felt, I used to turn up here, I was two inch taller. Okay. That's what I was going to, was it a, was it a, a skill that he had that <coughs> it was just the little tweaks or what is, was it his man management skills that would make you go out on the pitch thinking I'm... Oh, his man management as well. His little tweaks didn't have to be, he wasn't, don't forget, he's talking to 26, 27 year old footballers. So he's not going to, he's not going to come and coach me, coach me how to play, mm. but just certain things that help you be better. Uh, and then his man management was brilliant. He was some character. Oh, some character. All the stories true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All going out for pints, fish stopping and chip, off fish pints and chips. Wherever you want, yeah. Yeah, I know. You know, sadly, one of the fish and chip stories ended up getting beat, didn't they? But and I wasn't in the squad at that mm. time. But he just he managed us for that time. Unbelievable. Well, listen, the proofs in the results. Absolutely, absolutely. And as I say, I. I don't think I'll ever see scenes like what I remember as a little kid back in 1990 because it was just incredible. And the, the lasting memories I have of those days, no matter what we achieve going forward, I don't think we'll ever see those days. We came back from 1990 and myself, Jack and Packy Bonner and Patty's wife, uh, Packy and Anne and Fiona, my wife, Jack says, come on, I'll take you down to uh, Malahide. We'll go in the Chinese, they'll treat you to a, to a meal. So we... <laughs> We're walking down into Malahide, wherever we park the car, and uh, there's these young youngsters coming up, looking in like, oh, the sun, so so me and, me and Packy thought, oh, you know. So, and they, they were straight past us and went for Jack for his autograph. They <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely loved it. And then, it. to cap it all, though, we went into the Chinese, and we'd had this lovely slap-up meal, and Jack was treating as he was paying for it, which, uh, you know, as we know, he was careful, Jack. And then somebody paid his bill. Well, I was just about it to say, was, I, I know, they were queuing to pay <laughs> yeah. his bill, it was unreal. I'd say he hasn't paid a bill in this country ever, ever I'd say, after what he achieved, but uh, great memories, as you say, Mick. So the management stuff then, even going back to a comment you made earlier about like being dominant even as a young kid, and... I didn't know that. I didn't, no, no, it's but only, I mean, It's only now I look back, well, quite clearly I was... Management you know, material. No, not managed, no, 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 far from that. Just, I might have been a bit bigger than a bit gobbier than everybody else at 10 stroke 11. But do you not find... And of course, I was in a junior school with 100 kids in. Mm. I was probably the best player in that school as well. No, I, I was by a good stretch in that year. Uh, 
So that's probably why I got it. Not nobody saw managerial skills in it. Was the, I'm not so sure. Uh, the the lady headmistress, Miss Kitchen, or my but auntie who were there would have known how to open the ball up and put the put it blow it up and then put the put the. Uh, we had a lace in it. We were playing with the but lace. But as the ball. as the years progressed and you were that kind of tough centre half, leadership skills maybe captain material. Was it always a natural progression to maybe go into the management? Uh, yeah, I had a spell where I thought, well, I'm, I'm, I didn't know what I was going to do. I thought, well, am I going to stay in football? And then the older I got, I did want to stay in football. And I, that's, that's, that's a big reason why I came out from Leon, actually, because I was out of the team. And I thought, if I'm out of the team, I'll soon be forgotten in England. So I really need to get back and do my coaching badges. And, uh, and if I want to get into management, then I'm, I'm going to do it back in England, not in France. Especially if I'd have been playing in the team, I might have thought differently. But I'd had an injury, I was starting to think I'm 31 now, thinking I've not got that much longer left. I really need to sort myself out. So that is a big reason why I came back. Okay. <coughs> and I suppose what has transpired over a thousand games, it's incredible really. Of course, you never think that starting off. It's such a, we, we mentioned about the industry being so cutthroat, especially management and so results orientated in England. But the one thing that struck me about all the jobs that you've had, Mick, even, I suppose, starting off Millwall and then Sunderland, Wolves, Ipswich, the international job. But there was longevity in each of those jobs. Three years, six years, six years. Um, and, and when I look at management now and everyone speaks about the shelf life of 18 months, do you think if you were finishing up tomorrow and you were starting off your managerial career, have you got the best of the years? Is it, is it really hard industry to be in now? Yeah, it is, but the... the uh the average tenure of a manager was down to 11 months a long time ago, okay. a long, long time ago. And, and the, the first-time managers who lose their jobs, the percentage of them get, I, I haven't got them, I had them, you know, but it's something like, it would be 50% never get another job. Okay. So it's been cutthroat always. Mm. Is it more cutthroat now? Maybe in the Premier League. I'd like to think I, I had a modicum amount of success at each job that, that, kept, that yeah. kept me yeah. in the job. Yeah. By the way, there were times when I thought I might get the tin tack. I was once at Millwall, we, we'd lost game after game. We went, to, we went to play Port Vale and we lost 2-1 in the last minute of the game. Uh, Taff says to me, we all need to go out and have a pint. So we arranged Sunday night out. We went out, we all had a real good drink, the team, and had a bit of a sort out. We played Nottingham Forest in the Cup on Tuesday. Uh, and I, I like I think Greg Berry scored two goals. We beat them. We didn't lose all month. I got manager of the month, and I ended up staying in the job. Okay. And I must have been that from really. Oh yeah, I must have. So been. That's the margins we're talking. Oh yeah, margins, so there's a lot margins, of that down margins, as well. Yeah. Mick, bit of luck, a chairman who you might have a good relationship with. Yeah, um, that's that would have been my first job as well. Yeah. That, 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 I, w I don't think I got another job. Yeah. That'd have been me out. Maybe who knows. Uh, you know, Sunderland. I went into Sunderland. I lost. I lost the first nine games in the Premier League. I mean, they were rock bottom, and they expected me to get them out. Of it. I lost. There were nine left. I lost them all. Tried to win them. They're no point trying to draw them. Lost them. Uh, and I lost the next two games in the Championship. Okay. So I lost eleven on the bounce. Wow. But it was such a big turnaround. I mean, we were shut of players who were on fortunes and had signed players who were coming in on next to no. You know, I'm not making excuses. We lost eleven games. But we then finished uh, third in the league and the semi-final of the FA Cup. 
we beat Preston away 2-0. And had we lost, we'd have, we'd have got the record for the worst run of games. Okay. And I always remember because I walked through to get to the press and it was near the boardroom and the, the, the people who'd got the worst run of games were in there. And they came out thanking me that we didn't lose because they want to maintain <laughs> that record. You can imagine what I said to them. <laughs> and there were, there were quite a few Fs in it. Feel free was one of them. <laughs> and, uh, and so but from that, you know, I, I mean, if we'd have lost that, we could have lost 12 games on the bounce. And yet, finished third in the playoffs, semi-final of the cup. We got promoted the following year. They won the championship. So it, it, it's, it is fine margins. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe I've been, maybe I've been lucky and, and I've escaped a few, but I'm sure most people have. Yeah, and that's like, obviously, there's, there's skills involved. Um, there's belief, I'm sure, in, in your own ability and what, you've, yeah. what you're bringing to the table and bringing to the job. But there is that element of luck. But sure, there's the element of luck in life. It's not mm. just, I suppose, being a football manager. Think of the one of the best managers ever, Sir Alex Ferguson, the cup final. Yeah. You know, and uh, had they lost that, and it was Gordon Smith, who was a really good mate of mine, who gets the blame for it against Brighton. Mm. He could have gone. Mm. You know, um, was it Howard Kendall at Everton that, that went to Oxford and I did the win? He had, a, he had a real bad run of results. He was hanging by a thread, and then went on to be. Brilliant, Brilliant time, yeah, you know. Yeah. So there's, of course, there's an element of luck in it, but you know, you, they might have made a substitution that made it win. We go to Preston and organise a team that wins and wins two 0 and played really well. And then, of course, we finished third. So the the results after that, I think you've got to give somebody a bit of time. And then, of course, you win the league, and is it 94 points and yeah. unbelievable return you had, get them back promoted. Um, just in terms, Mick, I suppose of like the managerial side of things as well as you say there, you look at, I've, we've all seen the Netflix documentary with Sunderland and yeah. bonker stuff and the way things have gone, yeah. but in terms of fans and people and how much they care about the club, how satisfying was that to win the league with them, especially as you see, you, you get off, you get, you get off it, such a It was amazing start. because when I'd when I left, when I left Ireland, when I'd left the job here, uh, I, I'm out of work for quite a while. I remember Big Jack uh, ringing me about, uh, you know, you need to get a job. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm actively looking, you know. So when I get that, it's... Um, now I've got that the wrong way around, Sunderland, actually. Yeah. That was after uh, that's 2003. I'm trying to work in 2003 when I gone. But when I, when I get the call from them, I'd actually had a, I'd actually had a call from Fulham. I'm going the wrong way around. It's after Wolves. But uh, when I got, I, I, I sort of, I couldn't believe I got that call from Sunderland. Really? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm really up for it. There was a, a chance earlier on about Sunderland and Howard, uh, Howard Wilkinson got it. There was a chance, I'm, I'm in Ireland, I think I'm going home to go and have an interview thinking I'm getting it. And I heard on the radio, Seamus McDonough picked me up, I was going to his pub to do something with him. And he said, Howard Wilkinson has got the Sunderland job and uh, he's taken his assistant, Steve. Yeah, I was at Shrewsbury now. Forgot his name. Anyway, uh, I couldn't believe it. I thought, I'm, I think I'm, I've got it. Cottrell, Steve Cottrell, yeah. He's a mate of mine and all. I forgot his name, Steve. You'll not forgive me. Managed Sligo Rovers over here. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah he's, he's very capable, actually. Middle Bristol City was good. Uh, they got it. And then they didn't last very long, and then out of the blue, it, it lands in my lap, and I'm thinking, wow, that's 
how strange that is. But I, it was such a big club, such a big job. Mm. I was, I thought I was blessed getting that. Really? Oh yeah, it's great, man. To to, to, to Sunderland, yeah. you know, if if you get the chance to manage Sunderland, all day long. I mean, I look, I applied for it this time. Now I'm coming around. It's soon as, you know, Lee Johnson, sadly, he gets the sack for him. But I stuck my name in straight away. Did I said, you, yeah. oh, I'll take it to the end of the season. Uh, I didn't even. <laughs> I didn't even get a call back. Great, you've, you've totally <laughs> preempted me. Next question, uh, but you want to get back in? Yeah, I do. Yeah, look, I haven't retired. Maybe the game's retired me, but I haven't retired. Okay. And if if the right, I'm not going to say the right. If something came up that really interested me, and uh, that would have done. But to the end of the season, I think that's. I think they offered a few people at the end of the season. Others wanted longer contracts. Oh well, if you get them promoted and back in the championship, you know, it'd be brilliant. And so what does it make, like we've, we've gone through the clubs, as you say, manager Millwall, the Irish jobs twice, Sunderland, Wolves, Ipswich, Applewell even, um, over a thousand games. Fiona wants to go off to the south of France and relax, but you're mad to get back in with the likes of Sunderland or whatever. What is the bug? Fiona likes her own company, she's cool. Okay, she's, she yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, she's uh, not going to Sunderland with you again, no. <laughs> no, but sh equally she'd be happy for me because you know, she knows she has to manage me when I'm out of work. Okay. And uh, I'm sure that's not easy. You know, I'm, I'm used to being, I'm used to being, making the decisions, being the boss, being around the place and constantly active. And I, I say sometimes I go to bed and I don't, I don't sleep particularly well. Not as well as when I'm managing because you're at it, mm. you know, 24-7. I mean, I try not to be at it on a night, go to bed, but mm. you, 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 you're active, your mind's active as well as physically. Uh, so yeah, if something come up, yeah, I, I, I would like to go back in it. And I, I, I said I'd tell you a story that happened. I did a, myself and TC did a coaching session for the LMA, League Managers Association, about two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And it was something that we do at our training and how we try and do it and, what we, and, and the reasons we do it. So TC put a finishing session on. I did a passing through the lines, moving up, which we'd done at all the clubs. And, and it, went, it went really well, you know. And we're doing it with the West Bromwich Albion under 18s. And it's only when I was on there shouting and talking and organising and, and, and getting them to do it, I thought, well, yeah, I do miss it. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. I've been enjoying my time, playing a bit of golf with my mates. Uh, I'm not going to lie, I've enjoyed that. But yeah, I realise how much I miss it when I did that. Okay, Mick, I'm sure we've not seen the last of you in a dugout. Uh, I've enjoyed watching you in a dugout for the last 20 years on the pitch. Um, as I say, you've been an unbelievable servant in terms of player for Ireland, manager for Ireland. It's been a pleasure for me to not only meet you, but to interview as well. And thanks very much. Alan, thanks, man. Thank Good you. Pleasure.